uh, the second Sunday of the Easter season, and I said we're going to talk about God. And as you go through the New Testament, um, of course you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are sort of the history of Jesus. This is the life of Jesus. Just like in the Old Testament, you have uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They serve as the law. But then you have Joshua and Judges and Ruth. And these are the history books. First um, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, those are history books of the Old Testament. So with the New Testament, you kind of have that same setup where the Gospels, mainly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are predominantly history books, history of what happened with the life of Christ, with Jesus. John is a little bit history and a little bit of poetry. It's because John, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. That gets kind of cosmic. Okay, that's poetry. That's why that sounds so po- cosmic. Then you have some directions, and you have the letters. And these are mostly written by Paul. Um, Well, Acts. Don't forget Acts. That's also a history book. Then you have Romans, and you have 1 and 2 Corinthians. And all of the letters are letters from Paul to various people and places that he visited, explaining things to them. Most of those places he went to in person, And he got to talk face to face and he got to react to their body language and answer questions and teach and work miracles. There's other places like the book of Romans. He had never met any of those people. He knew he had heard some of the people that were there. Uh, There were some people that were friends that had gone there, but he wasn't totally sure if they were still there or not. He knew that they were Christians, but he had never been to Rome as a Christian that we know of. And he had never talked to them before. So he wrote the book of Romans ahead of himself. That's why the book of Romans is so awesome and laid out so clear. Because he's kind of like, you don't know me. I don't know you. But let me just establish everything in real clarity of what's going on. What I'm going to believe and what I'm going to preach when I get there. So you get the whole book of Romans. Well, the book of Colossians is a little different. And he had been there, and he knew them, and he knew people there. And the thing that he talks about the most in Colossians, and Colossians is known for, is it is a letter about who Jesus is. If Romans talks about God and the great plan of salvation and all that, if First and Second Corinthians talk about how the church should be and um, how you should be as a Christian, Ephesians talks about how you were saved and what salvation is like and what the Christian life is like. Colossians is about God. It's about Jesus Christ. And so I thought, let's just go through Colossians because we're celebrating on Easter that Jesus rose from the dead. But what if we don't know who Jesus is? What if we, what, what if we don't fully grasp? I mean, I'm just going to say right now, we don't know who Jesus is. We don't fully grasp it, right? Um, my wife and I, we have been married almost 20 years. And when usually somewhere around our anniversary or some anniversary 
our wedding anniversary or our engagement anniversary or the, you know, whatever, various anniversaries, we look back on that and we're like, gosh, we didn't even know each other. I didn't even know who you were. She'll say, I had no idea who you were then. Um, that's, that's kind of like our relationship with Jesus. Just because I don't know everything about my wife doesn't mean we're not married. And we can't get more married, right? We're fully married. We've got five kids, for goodness sakes. But we can grow to know each other better in our marriage, right? You can't get any closer to Jesus. His life is in you. He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You are completely holy. But let's get to know him better. And let's use the book of Colossians to do that. So, Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of God, in the word of the truth, the gospel. All right. So Paul is writing to the church and he prays for them a lot and he is confident of their standing. He is not saying uh, we pray for you because we don't know about you. There's no judgment there. It's we pray for you. We are celebrating. We are happy. But look at how look at how their faith works. He says, we always thank God for you. Verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. Not only do they have faith, but they have love for the whole church. How wild would it be? If you were known like, oh man, that guy, he loves every church that he drives by. Oh man, that lady, she, she loves all these other churches so much. She cooks frozen food for nine churches just to help them because they don't have enough money to cook frozen, you know, whatever. These folks love other churches. There's no competition. There's no bitterness. They, they love these other churches. They love all the saints. The love that you have for all the saints. Why do they love all the saints? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. They have such a hope. Have you ever talked to those people that you're pretty confident that they think that the only people that are going to be in heaven are the people at their church? And like there's jokes about people who are in heaven. There's this door and it says, you know, whatever denominations in there. And you go around St. Peter and they're like, don't open that door. They think they're the only ones here. No, that's not the church in Colossae. They have this hope that all Christians are Christians. Whatever church they go to, all the different saints all over the place. Because they know that Jesus gives this hope. This hope for Jesus is in Jesus. It's not in just in this little group that believes this certain thing in Colossae. It's for everybody that believes in Jesus. Hebrews 7 says, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. A guarantor is like if I buy a car 
and I have my rich son be the guarantor on it and I miss the car payment, they're going to call up David and they're going to have David make the car payment because he's the guarantor. He's the backing it up, right? Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. He's going to make sure the better covenant happens. This is more in Hebrews 7. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives continuously making intercession for us in heaven. He is constantly watching the things I do. Jesus and God the Father are watching the things I do. The Holy Spirit's in me. I screw up. They look at the Holy Spirit. They go, what? Holy Spirit's like, he didn't listen. Jesus is like, it's okay, Father. I died for that. It's cool. I'm pretty sure that happens several hundred times a day. It might not be exactly like that, but that's kind of how it looks. Jesus constantly interceding for us. It's all right, Father. It's all right, Father. It's all right, Father. That's the hope that we have. He is not only doing that for me, but he's doing it for every Christian. So when I get mad at Pastor Sleazeball for some horrible thing that he did, I need to remember, oh, but the Holy Spirit is looking up at Jesus and saying, I told him, but he didn't listen. And Jesus is saying, it's okay, Father. It's okay, Father. I died for that. I died for that. Just like he's doing for me. So now all of a sudden I can't judge, right? It takes the judgment away. And what's it replace it with? Hope. And it gives me hope. And I'm like, gosh, that poor guy messed up again. But I have hope for him. Just like I want him to have hope for me when I mess up here in about 45 seconds. Wow. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, all the love that you have for all the saints, because the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. So Paul's not even denying you all have heard the gospel and you have received it. As indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So it's really easy to watch the news and to be like, oh my gosh, the whole world's going to hell in a hen cart. This is terrible. Whenever I see stuff happen, hurricane, fire, shooting, whatever, I pray for the Christians in that town. Because those are the people with boots on the ground that the Holy Spirit is in that are 30 feet away from that disaster. Those are the people that are within eyesight of hurting people that the Holy Spirit is empowering right now to go and do something. Right? So the Hurricane Michael hits Panama City and my uncle's house is all torn up and his whole neighborhood's torn up. And um, I love my uncle and I love my cousins, 
but I don't think I'm going to make it down there to help them. I just, it's just not going to happen. My cousins come in from all over the place to help their dad and their mom, right? My aunt, uncle, and they're all helping, but they all have to go back home. And I'm praying. And I go to this Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday lunch Bible study downtown. And it's a bunch of people that work downtown. We have a Bible study. And this guy says, I'm not going to be here next week. I'm going to Panama City to do relief for the hurricane. I'm like, what? Now, it, I wish I could tell you they ran into each other. He, they were nowhere close. They never crossed paths, this guy and my uncle. Um, but here's this other person that's available, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to act and do and go. And the guy's taking two week-long trips down there to help people in Panama City. That's awesome, right? What is he doing? In the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. There are people all over the place. For all the news stories that you see of bad news, the Lord is there. And the Lord is taking action and mobilizing Christians to do stuff. And we can help from right here by praying for them for praying for their safety, for praying that they don't uh, get eaten by an alligator, that they don't get tetanus from stepping on nails, right? That they could have hope, that they could have joy and peace as they're working together to do that stuff. Because that, really that really is the case. Uh, I heard a story yesterday. There were these guys that were uh, trafficking drugs across Russia and into Eastern Europe. And they had all these smuggling cars and that had all these hidden pockets and hidden compartments and all this business. But then they had to drive back to like the Middle East and Pakistan and all this stuff to and they were empty. And since they were empty, this guy talked to a guy, talked to the, the Bulgarian mafia. And they loaded up all these drug cars with Bibles and evangelistic papers and the the drug trafficking, the illegal drug traffickers were getting paid not very much to haul all of these Christian uh, evangelistic materials back into Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan. It's like, that's terrible. But that's awesome. Because now all these horrible closed countries are getting filled with evangelistic materials, right? Totally crazy. So the Lord is working all over. It is bearing fruit and increasing. The church in China, one of the most persecuted churches ever, is growing. The church in Saudi Arabia. If you get on, um, I know a couple churches that do the, like the live, the live thing, and they show it live while it's happening, and you can tune in. They can track where what countries are tuning in. And Iran and Saudi Arabia and Pakistan are tuning into these live church services that are based in Evansville. Wild, bearing fruit, increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Holy Spirit. All of this is growing. See, Jesus Christ came as a man in the flesh. And he taught hundreds and hundreds of people. 
But when it came down to it, he had 12. And he knew one of those had to fulfill a prophecy and was going to go away. So he really had 11. But then when it really got down to it, he had James and John and Peter. And James and John were pretty impulsive. And Peter wasn't big on self-control either. Jesus had James and John and Peter. And he knew that he didn't need the thousands. He just needed to be fully alive in these guys. And what's going to happen on Pentecost, Peter is going to get up and say something, and there's going to be 3,000 people that believe in Jesus and become Christians on that day. I think it was D.L. Moody, um, like the newspaper asked D.L. Moody, how long does a person have to be a Christian before they can start evangelizing to others? And he said, well, how long does a candle have to be lit to light up a dark room? Just like that. So Christ is in us. Christ is living in us and immediately begins to grow. In, um, at the very beginning of 2 Peter, he talks about this growth. And Peter, Peter knows about growth, right? Peter's first interaction with Jesus was, I don't want to fish anymore. I already tried it and we all failed. But just because you say so, I'll fish. I'll do it. It It's the worst time of day to fish. Worst conditions ever to fish. I've been up all night trying and failing. Okay. This is what Peter says about, this is in 2 Peter, what he says about growth. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things. We have everything that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We have everything we need according to Jesus who calls us to his own glory and excellence. If I'm going to invite somebody over for dinner and I want to be with them, if I drop in on them with a bag of Zesto and I sit there and I eat, I'm going to eat with them in their glory, in their presence, at their house. And they're, going to, they're not expecting me, and they weren't ready for me. And, I mean, they're, they're basically eating at their house, right? Except I brought the food. But if, you, if I call you and I say, come over to my house and eat. Oh my gosh, my wife is going to clean house for like four days while I play video games. It's all going to smell awesome. There's going to be this amazing food and you're going to come and experience my my wife's my glory where I am as you eat with me because I've invited you into my glory. I've invited you into my presence. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory. And you're going to call me. This always happens. What can I bring? And I say, Cindy, they want to know what they can bring. She says, tell them not to bring anything. I've got it covered. You don't have to bring anything. You're called to his glory and excellence. He gives us everything we need, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. 
You can partake in being just the same way that Jesus is. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue, knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. That's a whole lot of awesome, isn't it? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not saying you got to do all this stuff or you're not saved. But Paul just said in Colossians, God's word is bearing fruit all over the world. The church is increasing all over the world. Why is the church increasing? Because in all of these people, all of this stuff is growing and it's not being unfruitful. Grow in all these things so you won't be ineffective. You won't be ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus. All over the world, there are a whole bunch of people that are growing in the knowledge of God. And they are being effective and they are being fruitful. Because the power of God is, is doing all of this. So, back to Colossians 1.9. So from the day we heard about you, we have not ceased. Uh-oh. We have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul has been praying for the church in Colossae. Because of all of this, God or Paul has been praying for them. So I had a buddy... Um, he is now in a, a missionary in a country that they're not even allowed to tell their fundraisers where they are. Like it's super dangerous, all this business. And he used to say, if, if he would, people would say, I don't know how to pray. And he would say, God tells you different ways to pray in the scripture. And if you pray the way God tells you how to pray in the scripture, he loves to answer those more. Because those aren't made up. Those aren't, you're not reinventing the wheel so look at this paul is praying asking that you'd be filled with the knowledge of god's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding if paul is praying that for somebody i reckon that god can answer that 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 is a prayer that paul who knows this stuff pretty well isn't going to pray for something that God can't do. And that prayer right there, I mean, that's one of those things that you hang on your fridge, right? That's one of those, man, I'm going to, I'm going to take this week and I'm just going to go down my street and the people that live in the blue house, and I don't know their name, but I'm going to pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Oh, there's that new church that's opening up over and such and such. I don't know any of those people there. I don't know what kind of church it is, but I'm going to pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Whoa. You hear about somebody rushing off to the hospital and you're so stunned and you have no idea how to pray for them. You know what? I'm going to pray that everybody around them and them would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is like the silver bullet, right? 
These are also handy if you don't like praying in public or you feel nervous and you are at the grocery store in this situation and somebody's down and you're like, I should really pray for them. I don't know how to pray for people. Wait. I pray that you, where is it, would be filled with all the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God loves that. He loves to answer prayers that he wants us to pray. So Colossians 1.10. So as to walk, you're going to do all, why would you grow in knowledge and understanding? And why would you know his will? So you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay. Be careful with this walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It'd be really easy to read that and to think, gosh, I don't walk in a way worthy of the Lord. He doesn't love me. That's not true. Right? Do you have those moments where sometimes your kids do something and you're like, that is my daughter. Oh, yeah. Uh, Last week, I had one of these moments. I got to tell you about it. We get a tour of the old courthouse with my work. It's bring your kid to work day. And I took Grace and we go into the uh, Randy Shepard, Randall Shepard courtroom, this giant old courtroom in the courthouse. And we go in and the tour guide says, all right, uh, just have a seat anywhere. I'm going to talk about this for a little bit. Grace looks around. She walks right up to the front. She sits right down in the judge's like main thing up at the front. And she just sits right down there. I was like, my girl. And then one of my coworkers, she's like, Dan Sullivan's daughter figures. Yes, they don't even know me that well. They know. That's what that means. Now, if Grace would have sat anywhere else in that room, would she still be my daughter? If she would have run down the hall crying, I don't want to sit in the courtroom. She'd still be my daughter. This isn't about you're not worthy and you're not saved and you're going to hell and all that. This is about God saying, my girl, my boy, right? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him we can actually please the lord that's kind of, i mean we can just stop there and have a good sunday we can actually please him we can do things that make him glad bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god all that second peter stuff being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So I heard a weird thing yesterday. In the Greek language, whenever they list three or more things, there's something about their language and how it works. That, um, like if I said, oh man, they had, they had ice cream and they had cookies. I just mean that they had a bunch of sweets. But if I say they had ice cream and cookies and pie, as soon as I mention that third thing, now you know that they distinctly had cookies and ice cream and pie. And it's just this funny business about the Greek language. So if I mention two things, they had a bunch, and it doesn't really matter how many there were. And they're all kind of intermingled. I mean... I could say they had desserts like pie and cheesecake. 
they might have just had cheesecake pie, right? It could have just been one thing, but they had a bunch of it. But if I say they had cheesecake and pie and um, celery for dessert, for the keto people, now they have three distinct things. So when you read something like this, being strengthened with, uh, nope. Yes, welcome to manner. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. God wants to strengthen us with endurance. He wants to strengthen us that we would not just talk about Jesus while, while everybody wanted to hear about him or while it was easy. He wants to strengthen us with patience. He doesn't want us to grow in the Lord for this week. And now, okay, I did that. I grew in the Lord. Now I can go on and get back to my seashell collection. You know, whatever. No, patience, patience, keep going. Like this guy that got saved when he was 65. Yes, patience and joy. We have this hope before us. We have a promise that you're going to continually grow. You are going to continually grow and know Jesus better and better and better until you know him completely. That is enough joy right there. Then we're always giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the saints in light. God has qualified you. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for you. You were woefully unqualified and you couldn't do anything to qualify yourself. You couldn't do better. You couldn't run faster. And that's okay. Because Jesus did it for you. He knew. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He knew you wouldn't be able to do it. And he, in, in his great love for you, even while you were a sinner, he died on the cross for you. That's Romans and that makes us, that gives us an inheritance. All right, I'm going to give you a little blurb about inheritance because I think inheritance is really awesome. Everything about inheritance is awesome. My rich uncle is going to leave all of his millions of dollars to me. So until he dies, he's rich and I'm not. Hey, uncle. Hey, rich uncle. My purple minivan broke down on the way to Kentucky. Can you send in some helicopters and help me out? Oh, sure, Danny. Here come the helicopters. He flies me on wherever. Why? Because he's so stinking rich. He's got all this money and he can take care of me. So I have access to it because he's my uncle, right? But when the stock market changes and when I hear all this stuff about mutual funds, do I worry about it? No, that's his problem. It's his money. So I don't have to worry about my inheritance. But I have full access to it while he's alive. Think that through. If I have a great inheritance that I have access to for help while he's alive, but I don't have to be responsible for taking care of it, what happens if he never dies? If he never dies and lives forever, then forever... I have full access to it and I don't have to be responsible for taking care of it. 
So if God has an inheritance for me and God never dies, I have complete access to the fullness of my inheritance from him, but I don't have to make sure it's invested properly. That's his problem. I can leave that to him. So I've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Again, there's a judgment play here. I don't have to judge that guy for squandering the grace of God because I know God can afford it. He has delivered us, Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's delivered us from the domain of not being able to see. He's delivered us from the domain of evil, of where evil rules my thoughts and evil guides me. He's delivered us from the domain of hopelessness. Just think about everything that Paul would think of when he says domain of darkness. You've been delivered out of that. You've been taken out and you've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom of his beloved son, whatever his son wants, happens. Whatever his son wants to do is done and he will accomplish it. And that's the kingdom that we're in. I didn't write it down. All right, I need a Bible. Got one. Ephesians 2. This is the rats on the ceiling story. And then I'll be done. I think I've told this story before. In Ephesians, it says... I didn't even write down the address of it. That were already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to look it up just so you can really have it and have it good. Okay. Um. <laughs> Ephesians chapter two, verse six. Ephesians two, verse six. This is talking about Christ raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's all past tense. He's already done it. He raised us up with Christ and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ. So there we were, my wife and I, laying in bed in Central Asia in a little guest house and over our heads, in the ceiling, we can hear rats. And it sounds like, I don't know, how many? 700? Yeah. yeah. It sounded like 700 rats were above our head, running around. And we're laying there, and we're kind of miserable, and we miss our family, and we're, we're both in sort of this shell shock of, oh my gosh, what have we done? And I'm laying there in the bed, like, Glory. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy. Because I'm so spiritual, you know. Wasn't like that all the time. But this one moment I was, by golly. And Cindy's like, what are you doing? 
there are rats in the ceiling. And I said, I am worshiping God because right now I am seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And she says, I'm still here. (laughs) Classic. I was still there too. There were rats. But nothing happened. You thought at any moment the whole ceiling was going to fall down and there'd just be rats everywhere? Didn't happen. I don't think we ever even saw a rat in that house, did we? Not in that house. Um, We saw rats in our other house to the point that kids on the street called me Mr. Rat. But, yes. I'm already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has already done it. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God, who's not in time, looks over my whole life, sees this little spot when I was 18, and I put my faith and trust in him, and I traded all my sin for all of his righteousness. And all the rest of the sins in my life, like a, like a sweater getting unraveled, just get pulled and all get forgiven. Pulled out at that moment and put on Jesus. And then, since Jesus, since God looks down that timeline of where he can see all time, and all of a sudden Dan Sullivan's timeline stops because he's dead and he's a goner. And then he looks up and there I'm sitting because I'm out of time too. And I'm, I'm eternal and I'm living with him in Christ. I'm seated in the heavenly places. I'm all, he has done this. So that's Ephesians 2. Back to Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. All of this loops back to hope. Hope, right? How I can have hope that he's going to remake me and he's going to form me and he's going to help me grow in the knowledge of him. It gives me hope for other people that don't know him that at some point they might come to know him. And if they do, they're going to be seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus just like that. And it gives me hope because wherever they are, if they're like the 65, well, now he's, uh, do the math, 72-year-old Al that I met yesterday. They got saved when he was 65. And all the horrible stuff he did until he, was six, until he got saved. All taken, put on Jesus. And he's plopped down, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So see how all of that works together to build in us hope, to build in us how we pray for people, how we have patience and how we have joy. How we have joy when we see somebody in a terrible story, in a terrible circumstance, we can be like, man, what is God going to do? What opportunity are we handing God right now in prayer? All right. My plan is to just continue through Colossians until Pentecost. So... I better make note of where we stopped. We stopped at 14. Oh, man. That means next week we start with, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So next week it'll get good. All right, let's pray.
Lord, you are so awesome. We praise you, Lord, that everything that you accomplished when you saved us, you recreated us, you made us new, you delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son who you love. Lord, thank you for the hope that you put in us. Thank you for the confidence that you put in us. Thank you for the knowledge and the relationship that we can have hope that we will continually grow in it more and more until we know you fully. Thank you, Lord. Amen.